Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 670 with Andrew Friedman. Food was always such an important part of my life that when I decided I could make a career of it, I, I went for it. Are you ready for it? it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. For years, restaurant owners have been pleading for more integration in their restaurants, and they finally got it. Restaurant 365 is a cloud-based, all-in-one, restaurant-specific accounting and back-office platform that seamlessly integrates with POS systems, payroll providers, and food and beverage vendors. Head over to restaurant365.com slash unstoppable and qualify for 30% off implementation and a free inventory build in Restaurant 365, a value of $5,000. Were you aware that 89% of guests will research a restaurant online before dining out? This is why it is so important for you to be mindful of what your online presence is. Visit getbento.com slash unstoppable to sign up for your Bento Box website today. Bento Box empowers restaurants to own their presence, profits, and relationships online. One more time, that is getbento.com slash unstoppable. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Andrew Freeman. My man, Andrew, are you feeling unstoppable today? I am feeling so unstoppable today. I can't even <laughs> contain myself. Sitting here with you is really like difficult because I'm so unstoppable. I have that effect on people. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to dive into this. So New Jersey native Andrew Freeman graduated from Montclair State University with a degree in marketing. Freeman went on to learn the restaurant business by working through the ranks at several legendary New York venues, including Windows of the World, the Russian Tea Room, and the Rainbow Room. I got to throw a little caveat in here. Sometimes when I read the intro, some of the names of the restaurants my past guests work at yes. are so just like convoluted uh-huh. and hard to pronounce. And just thank you for having a track record of uh, easy, to, easy pronounce to pronounce restaurants. <laughs> yes, yes. Thank you so much. Uh, this experience set Andrew up to serve as Vice President of Public Relations and Strategic Partnership for Kimpton Hotels and the, uh, sorry, Kimpton Hotels and restaurants. In total, he spent a, uh, 10 years with Kimpton, launching over 40 hotels and restaurants, as well as global brands. Today, Andrew Freeman serves as founder of AF & Co., a leading restaurant and hotel consulting firm with a focus on marketing and public relations. Man, I'm excited for this conversation. Wow, I am you got, important. <laughs> you've got uh, okay. quite, a, quite a track record there. Um, <laughs> I can't wait to dive into your story, but let's get that motivational, mm-hmm. inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Well, if it's okay with you, Eric, I'm going to give you two, but they're related. Um, the one that I'm famous for is I was born with a fork in my mouth. And though it's not completely motivational, it sort of guided my whole career. You know, um, food was always such an important part of my life that when I decided I could make a career of it, I, I went for it. The other one is from my mentor, Bill Kimpton. And that is when life, when you, when you come to the fork in the road, take the fork. Yes. Um, and so I've sort of lived by that, but I think from, for me personally, everybody who knows me knows my big thing that I always say to everybody is dig in, like, don't just dig into food, dig into life, Yes. dig into a, an idea you have, 
Like, just dig into it, because if you don't dig into it, it'll never happen. Oh, man. Great way to get this thing started. And uh, in my research, it sounds like you knew really early on, and from your, your, your quote that you just shared with us, it sounds like you knew really early on that this is what you wanted to do. But where does it make sense to start telling your story? Well, you know, probably with how bad my, uh, of a cook my mother was. Okay. Um, you know, she was a, uh, like a woman before her time. We were New Jersey natives and well no I actually was uh born in New York City but then we moved to New Jersey but in typical fashion my mother was sort of a bit of a debutante my father was a uh, waiter and they met in very dirty dancing style when she was a guest at the hotel nice. and he was uh, serving her and we went on and she had a career and she felt like you know I'm as important as any guy or my husband and so I'm going to work full time and we're either going to split the cooking duties or we're going to eat out and eating out became a fascination of mine. And so it started, you know, that's where it really started. I just was fascinated by the, by the restaurant world, you know, at large. Yeah, but you, you mentioned in the intro uh, that, or during your success quote, that as soon as you knew that you could make a career of this, you kind of just dug in. When, did, when was that moment? Um, well, so um, I, I decided that I was going to be an actor. And I started working in New York acting. And like any good actor, you wait tables. <laughs> and um, and while in that process, uh, it was almost like I had that aha moment. I was working with a um, fellow actor who is now my age, you know, who was my age at that point, <laughs> and he was still waiting tables. And I literally had that moment of like, oh no, this can't be me. Like you know, um, so but I was really excelling at the waiting tables, and um, I was offered a position as a manager. And that's really when it all started. And this was at uh, the first restaurant I mentioned, um, the Windows of the World? No, that was even before. It was, oh, okay. it was, you're going to love this. It was a place called Arthur's Tavern on okay. 54th Street, and I was a singing waiter. Nice. And uh, that's where it got started. And by then, I had then, – so then I started to say, i got to retool my career here if this is really what I want to do. So how long did it take you to kind of get full on board with this path, putting yourself on this trajectory? That you're I'd on? say probably five years. Okay. Yeah. Any, any key mentors, any key lessons – that kind of sets you up for this point. I don't want to oh, overlook yeah, sure. anything. Yeah. Well, you know, I think what, so basically I think, you know, I had already had this marketing degree because my parents were like, you know, you can be an actor as long as you go to college. Um, and then I had a friend uh, who's still my friend uh, named David Strada, who works for New, New Zealand Wine. And he said to me, you know, if you really want to get into the restaurant business, you really need to understand food. And he suggested that I go to the French Culinary Institute and I did, and um, I was going to be an adult student. And Jacques Pepin was my teacher, and Dorothy Can uh, Hamilton, who founded the school, who sadly passed away a few years ago. Um, when I was in school, and I was and I was kicked out. You I know, was going to say, I yeah, think I remember yeah, hearing the story. <laughs> yeah, uh, Jacques Pepin. Jacques Pepin to this day still tells the story about how he asked me to leave the kitchen because I was too chatty. Uh, but I was directed to the front of the house, and I never finished the program, but I got a job at the French Culinary Institute, um, first as the maitre d', and then as the uh, admissions director and the marketing director. And that pivotal moment in my career really launched the, the everything else 
It so all you, came you weren't from kicked that. out of school. You're just kicked out of that program. I was kicked out of it. Yes, I was told <laughs> that I wasn't meant for the kitchen. Well, I think there's something really important. Uh, like there's a, a message here that it's our responsibility as mentors, as leaders, to identify strengths in people and to put them on the right track. Because when we're young, we're still figuring it out. We don't. We're still we're still trying to trying to find out where we belong. Absolutely, right? we need that guidance. Yeah, and yeah. I think you know the uh, French culinary when it first opened was mostly adult students who had, were career changing. And, um, and I think I learned very fast that I didn't want to cook. Like I, I did, I, I knew, I knew my personality, my sparkling personality, <laughs> you know, belonged in the front of the house. And then I, and I really wanted to apply what I had gone to school for. Gotcha. Yeah. So, uh, he puts you on this track front of the house. What happens? So, you know, it's really funny because, um, anybody who, you know, who you get to know me will know that I'm still obsessed with theater and Broadway and everything. And I think that I, my, the, the true love of the restaurant business came from the fact that they are, it's extremely like theater. Mm. You know, every, you have a cast of characters, they're in uniforms or costumes, the doors open and no matter what happens in those three hours you are on. Yeah. So I fell in love with that whole aspect of it. So what, right? So that, right, performance. So then I had a dream. I had a dream and my dream was to um, work at a famous New York restaurant. Well, as luck would have it, one of the students at the school was the daughter of the owner of the Russian tea room. Okay. And we became very good friends. I had, you know, I enrolled her into the program and she was also uh, being trained to, you know, to take over the Russian tea room. And she came to me one day and said, my mom, uh, for the first time ever, is looking for a marketing person. And I put her in touch with you. Nice. Yeah, and that's... And this is like four or five years after graduating uh, from college? Yeah, okay. so yeah. and, and Mid-20s? And, and I was still acting and yeah. trying to do some yeah. gigs on the side. It was, it was a great time in New York City because I was like, you know, just... You know, you know, you just do as many things as you can do, you know, yeah. to, to, to not only stay alive, but you know, you, you're, you're loving it. Yeah. One yeah. of the reasons why I'm so excited to make an example of you and to share yeah. your story is because of your unique background in the sense that you created, you carved out a career for yourself working in restaurants, but being known for doing one thing really well, um, and a bunch of other things well, mm-hmm. but marketing and uh, public relations is kind of the niche you, you carved out for yourself over the time. Um, was that an, were you being intentional about that or did it kind of just did this responsibility just get thrown at you? You know, it's really interesting because I, I think I, in the back of my mind, I always knew that I had a, um, you know, a vision. I had some of the, there's, there's a few jobs in between there where I was like, I worked at an ad agency and I was specializing in, um, uh, secretarial schools and pet, pet, pet adoption homes and things like that. But in the back of my mind, I kept thinking, I'm not, this is not what I really want to do. And then I, so it was somewhat intentional because I thought if I can mesh, you know, something I love with what I know, my skill set, and I can figure out how to make it all work, that would be great. But I knew everywhere I knew there was going to be things that I was going to have to do along the way. And this is one of the things I would say to everybody is like, don't ever think something's beneath you or like if it's. If you're intentionally on the road to something, you are going to have to take some pit stops and you're going to have to make some directional changes. You have to sacrifice. You have to sacrifice. So, you know, when I got to the Russian Tea Room, she was, uh, Faith Stewart Gordon, who's another mentor, she was very honest with me. She said, you know, you, you have to work in the dining room before I let you 
market my business. Yeah, you don't know the brand. You don't know who we are. You had experience yeah. here, right? Yeah, and I, again, I was fascinated because there is this guy from Showbiz now working in the show busiest restaurant, and I was maitre d'ing. Like, that was my job. And then little by little, she gave me more responsibility to market um, and to introduce the new cabaret and to do things. And so, you know, after five years there, I had fully transitioned into overseeing their marketing, their PR, and then also their private dining sales. Yeah. Well, to come full circle, mm-hmm. I, I started this portion of the conversation by saying I was really excited to talk to you because there are... You, the point that I was trying to make is that there's so much opportunity within this industry. Absolutely. And I think people are so one tracked or so one minded. Like you get into this industry, either you're a chef or you're a front of house GM and that's the only way to make uh, a living. But yes. if you have a, a specific skill and you can bring it to this industry, you can create so much opportunity. Yeah. For and yourself. now, now you're seeing more of it, but you're right. I mean, you think about all the people that support the, the restaurant industry, you know, the farmers, the uh, fishmongers, the, you know, the, the, even the uh, linen companies and the cleaning companies. And, you know, there's so many support, um, you know, vessels, you know, to, or vessels is not the right word, but, you know, so many businesses that thrive off the restaurant business. So, you know, you have to sort of figure out like, and then obviously there's PR and marketing and all that. But um, back then it was a discovery because what? I didn't realize that I could, you know, bluntly make a career out of it what's there's a name in nature for like symbiotic relationships where there's like the shark that's swimming and there's like the little fish that's that right the, yeah or the bird that's on the like, you know <laughs> this industry has created so many opportunities for other species and like the, the animal but and then, instead you know, of species have, i'm talking to other industries <laughs> and then you have the hotel world yeah, which right? is an offshoot of this because people got to eat when they're staying in hotels and so now we have delivery you know yeah. so it's just so what was yeah. that experience like your first time being responsible for marketing a restaurant, knowing what you know now, yeah. reflecting back at your execution then, what was it like? <laughs> you know, it's really, so it was, it, was at, it was at the Russian Tea Room, and I remember um, it was an anniversary, and I was pooping in my pants. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, um, I was young, yeah. and I wanted to do a good job, and I knew it would be career-oriented. And I think another thing that I would say to people is, like, you're going to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. You know, like... Um, and in our business, it's not like we're going to, um, you know, um, cut an artery or do something that's going to kill somebody. (laughs) So, you know, you're going to, you may have that momentary, Oh, I can't believe that just happened. But you know, normally you can recover from it. But I remember I had, um, my friends who were very excited about my role at the Russian tea room were like, you know, really calming me down to say, cause I was throwing this party. Um, and it went off without a hitch. We had a, a flood in the middle of it. And there's, if there are some legendary stories I have from my days at the Russian tea room that, um, were just the high as a young guy, <laughs> the, the highest points and the craziest stuff that happened there. Cause it was very celebrity driven, you know? So, okay. What's yeah. the high, what's the craziest thing that ever happened there? We're well, I'm going to tell you that, um, Roseanne Barr uh, had just lost a ton of weight and, you know, and people would book the Russian tea room to make appearances and you could either sit at the front booths, which were the most famous ones, the Woody Allen booth and all that, or you could sit at the back booths and we, everything was calculated. We knew who was going to sit where and Roseanne was going to sit at the back booth. So when she entered the room, she could walk through mm, the dining make room sure everybody so everybody could out. see the weight loss that day. We were a little brownstone, five-story brownstone between now two towers that had been built. And the watershed had uh, come in on our roof. And literally, 
it the it just let loose and water came flying into the dining room (laughs) and everybody in the dining room was soaked oh man just soaked and i will say this there was a moment of what the hell and then everybody just started laughing. Well, there's no better time to have a wet T-shirt after that's a, losing that's a bunch exactly, of weight, right? That's right. You guys was, were just helping her out. It was the out. most elaborate wet yeah. T-shirt content, <laughs> contest in the history of that restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. But I think there's another underlying message here, which is really cool. The, the extreme um, that good restaurants will go to to make their guests feel special. Absolutely. Right? And I think that's a really cool lesson right there. That you're, you're th- did, Was this coordinated or is this what you wanted? Is this what you guys were doing because – you knew that was important. Oh Did yeah. She asked for this or I mean, uh, well, no, I mean cer- certain things you were dealing with agents, yeah. like at least in that case, you know, so you we were doing movie premieres and parties and all that. So you were, it was very orchestrated, but to your point, the experience that we delivered every day of it's where sort of where I really learned service because when you're dealing with that level, you, you can't make anybody feel underappreciated. And so even though you might be dealing with celebrity, m- our team was never everybody's a celebrity here. Like nobody should ever feel yep. like because they're not somebody famous, they're not going to get the same treatment. Oh man, I love it. And um, it's it's like that attention to detail is the word that's coming to mind, right? When I think when we think of attention to detail in this industry, we're talking about physical things, how we plate the food, mm-hmm. where we're putting things on the 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 table, like what if there's dust you know on the top of the ceiling you yeah. know like or on the top of the the ceiling fan or things mm-hmm. like that but what about how you make fe- people feel attention to detail about how you make people feel this is so so powerful yeah, and i that's think a, it gets overlooked it's a personality thing too because yeah. you can't like danny meyer my favorite you know guy says you can't teach somebody to be nice mm, you know one percenter right yeah and and i've i've lived by that because you really can't teach somebody to be nice like you have to feel it in your heart first and somebody shouldn't be in service if they're not ready to serve. Like, you know, there's a completely different kind of arena. I have a great story if uh, I can share it. Yeah, please do. Um, So, but right before I started working at the Russian Tearum, I had a job at an advertising agency and one of our accounts was the Helmsley Hotels. And uh, Leona, Leona Helmsley was, you know, the notorious queen of mean in the hospitality world. And I remember I was getting to go to my first meeting where she was going to be there and I was being briefed like, you know, only speak when you're spoken to, you know, don't, uh, don't, you know, you know, she, she, you know, just be careful. Right. So we walk into the lobby of the hotel and we're waiting there and I'm with my boss and, you know, it's a big deal because it's my first meeting and she comes out to greet us and we're in the middle of the lobby and she looks down and there's a Kleenex on the floor of the lobby and she says she calls somebody over and she says um what's that and he said oh my gosh miss Mrs. Hemsley, i'm so sorry i'm so sorry and then she said we'll pick it up and he did and she goes now you can go get your uh, stuff because you're fired <laughs> you know yeah and interestingly enough i thought to myself she is so mean <laughs> but then i thought to myself you know she's giving people an experience that when they walk in to that hotel they should not see a Kleenex laying in the middle of her lobby. So I sort of had this whole sense of like, you know, right or wrong, right from that moment. But that attention to detail is something that I've never forgotten. Yeah. And just not wavering your standards, right. Mm-hmm. And, and making a, I mean, a public display of your standards. Yes. I, I don't know if I agree with what she did in that moment, no, but I don't either. she made a point, she you did. know? Yeah. Uh, so before we move on in your career, any other 
stories worth telling or where were you professionally when exiting the Russian tea room? Um, well, I said, this is such a great story. Uh, well, to me anyway, <laughs> but, um, I had been offered an opportunity to go to MTV, which had just come on the scene Okay, and to be the director of special events. All right. And then I'd also gotten an opportunity to go to the rainbow room to become the director of public relations and marketing peer pressure. <laughs> right. And I blame my friends. Um, I made the wrong decision, but I went, I went to MTV and, um, within three months of doing endless parties where nobody cared about, you know, just as long as there was enough food there. Um, it was a great experience only in the fact that I got to launch MTV Latino with probably the biggest party that I ever will throw in my life. I mean, it was a complete city shutdown with Bill Collins and Gloria Estefan. What? But my job was like a, I was up for like 50 some odd hours straight, you know? Uh, I remember when that party came to a conclusion, I was laying in the bed at my hotel and I was completely broken out from stress. <laughs> and I was, and I just, um, I woke up in the morning and I called Joe Baum from the Russian tea room, from rainbow room. And, um, and I said, Hey Joe, it's Andrew. And I said, you know, I don't know, you know what you decided, but I made a big mistake. And, um, if you ever considered hiring me, possibly considering me again, I would, you know, I'd really appreciate it. And he's, and he called me kid, you know, and he said, kid, you did make a mistake, you know, and he was very, very gruff. He said, but well, when you get back to the city, give me a call and, you know, and uh, we'll see what we can do. Well, so, I'm yeah. sorry. Keep going. So, no, go ahead. I was going to ask what was the, like, what was going on inside of you to make you feel like you made a mistake? What was, you said it was just because people were, were only really interested in being fed and it was that kind of, yeah, you know, it, it was a thank, it was, you know, to be thankless. honest with you, it was sort of thankless for mm. me. I think another person would have thrived in that environment, but I realized that the cool hit factor of working at MTV was only for a limited group of people. Now, listen, what MTV went, obviously went on to do was crazy. Um, I just think I realized that I wasn't an events person. There's really not a lot of intimacy there. It's, a, it's very much a transaction. Like You're throwing this party for a bunch of strangers, and you don't really get to be a part of it. No. You know? And you're always behind the scenes, yeah. and you're, you're just... The, the the culture of throwing those kind of parties is that you're always putting out a fire. So it was like boom, 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 a constant fire. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it it had moments. Don't get me wrong. I mean, like getting to pick Gloria Estefan up and bring her to the party. Like <laughs> those kind of things were really yeah. cool. But in general, and I didn't, I, I, the other things too is I'm going to say this to all of you. Travel is not as glamorous as you think it is. You know that, right, Eric? Yeah. Like, you know, it's not as glamorous as you think it is. So when you're never home, because you're just going from event to event to event, I just realized it wasn't totally for me. Skipping across the water. You don't get a chance to see what, you know, the coral reefs that are below it. You're just going. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think the lesson that I learned there was like, admit you made a mistake Mm. and see if you can. So, you know, when I called him, you know, I got, I got back the next week and I went in and he said to me that they hadn't made a decision yet, that they, they hadn't found the right candidate and that they would be interested in me again but if I ever pulled what I had pulled, you know, like he said, he, he would ruin my career. I mean, it was very like, it was, it, was, it was pretty dramatic. <laughs> but, but you guys are good friends to this day, are you but, not? Well, you know, he sadly has passed away. But oh, we, right. um, he, was, he became like a second dad. I mean, he became my mentor. And, he, and if you read any of the legendary stories about Joe Baum, 
restaurant legend, but also um, the toughest, toughest boss I have ever worked for. All right, let's dive into this. I really do believe that we are a... uh, we are a combination of those we've worked for, those who have influenced us because they transfer their knowledge, their values to us, and we become a, a piece of them, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, they pass it down to us. So what, how did Joe Baum really influence who you are today? Well, he taught me, don't, like, do not skimp. Do not take, like, don't, no, no stone unturned. Like, he was such a crazy detail guy, but also he pushed people in ways to to not to settle, you know? Um, and you know, we, he was a, he was just a genius, you know? Um, with that, with that genius came a level of, I can say this in a nice way, crazy that a lot of people couldn't handle because, mm. you know, um, cause he would, he would really push, you know, it's really funny, not funny that you mentioned that, but I, I say often, and I've done, you know, the six years of studying successful people. And I've noticed that, a lot of successful people, one of the reasons why they're successful is because they might have a little screw loose or, you know, there's something about them, whether it's a disorder that makes them not settle or it, it ends up being almost like an evolutionary benefit in life because you have those high standards or you, you pay attention to little details. Yeah. But I don't always know if we should try to recreate yeah. <laughs> some well, of the, the attributes. That yeah, it's really interesting. Have. He was a complete visionary, <laughs> like visionary, like I've never, I've never seen before. And the, you know, cause what happened was, you know, I, I started at the rainbow room, but he had created the original windows on the world. Then it got bombed, you know, the original bombing, um, which is in, I guess, 92 and Trade then, center bombing. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, where the ground floor mm-hmm. and then, um, and then he got the contract to rebuild the rainbow uh, to the rebuild the windows on the world. And I was now there. part of that team. Yeah. You know, I, I want to yeah. dive into the yeah. influence you had on this rebranding mm-hmm. and rebuilding. Um, but you mentioned something about Joe, his ability to, uh, in, uh, I think the words you were talking about the standards uh, that increase people's standards. Can yes. You, do you remember how he did that? Yeah. Can you kind of take me through or take us through the, the, his approach of increasing the, his people's standards? You know, it's so interesting. It was so funny. It was such an old school guy. Like, you know, we were, our offices were on the 43rd floor of the Rockefeller center tower, 45th. And it was the only people who were in that office were me and him and his assistant. And it was before non-smoking offices and it was, you'd walk into a cloud of smoke, you know, just a cloud of smoke. And he would sit behind a big desk and he'd have, he'd hold court. You know, we called it, we're going to court today because Joe would hold court. But there was something because he had already created restaurant associates and like the first king of theme restaurants, you know, um, that there was such a respect for him in the business already just because of his genius that you, you were, you were a bit in awe of like that you were working for him mm. and working with him. Um, and when you watched him in action, for me, what I saw was his frustration or his anger or whatever it was came from a place of people just not getting him, like not getting what he meant or not getting the vision or not doing their best. Um, now, the way he handled it, and I, and I, you, you said something earlier, like a lot of that did translate to me. So, you know, my first attempt at running my own business was like, just yell at people. Yeah, that'll get them control. Right. Yeah. That'll get them to do it. You know, yeah. just scream at people and throw shit. Oh, sorry. You know, you and you know what I mean? And, you know, like, and he would, he, yeah. he, stuff would come flying across <laughs> his office and, you know, um, 
But what I realized is that um, it, he was just getting you to the point where you got it so that, and then once you got it, he respected you, mm. you know? And, um, and we had a, an inter- we had an altercation that yeah. led to that moment. Like, you know, and so, yeah. But that's culture right there. That's culture. That's ways to act, ways to conduct your, your behavior, right? Yeah. What he's doing is he's he's molding you into that culture. Yeah. And he won't lay off you until you fit the mold, until you, you're a part of the team, until you've gotten the culture. Yeah. And that's what we need to do when, when that, like, bring it back to Danny Meyer again, constant gentle pressure. Absolutely. Right? Yep. Never settling. Yeah. Um, so he, he, you know, he picked up some of the, the, the good and bad. <laughs> yeah. Well, but- <laughs> my attention to detail definitely came from yeah, him. Awesome. Like, um, actually came from my college professor who once gave me an F on a paper because I had five typos in it, you know? And ever since then, I'm like a typo Nazi, you know, just, you can strike that. Um, (laughs) um, Jordan, Jordan, Jared, you would hate to proofread my work. (laughs) But I literally am like, if I see typos, it makes me nuts. But what I think the positive side is I got to work with Joe on the floor. Right. So I would see him scanning and scoping and you know, everything, yeah, so that was really positive side of him. The neg- it wasn't negative. It was just a different time. You know, we could never, never get away with, you know, the the way he would talk to people or yell at people yeah, or times whatever. Have times have really changed <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I think this is a good point to take mm-hmm. our first break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right okay. back to talk about the impact you had on the this is the Rainbow Room. Now we're talking about mm-hmm. right. Yes. If you're sick of paying multiple vendors and services to outfit your restaurant needs only to deal with the frustrations of technology that's clunky and void of that seamless experience that you so need, then you've got to check out Restaurant 365, a cloud-based restaurant-specific accounting and back office platform that seamlessly integrates with your POS system, payroll provider, food and beverage vendors, and banks. With Restaurant 365, you'll have real-time reporting and analysis to make the best and most data-driven decisions. No more guessing. Other features include detailed daily and labor data from your POS system, accounts payable automation, automated bank reconciliation, incorporated inventory management with guidance on reducing your food costs, and scheduling features to reduce labor costs and engage your employees, all saving you time, money, and headaches. Take action today and find out how Restaurant 365 is saving restaurant owners up to 5% on prime costs that's awesome head over to restaurant 365.com slash unstoppable and qualify for 30 percent off implementation and get a free inventory build within the system a value of 5k we're back and you were just starting to get into the impact you had on um the rainbow room and how you, you were going to tackle this rebranding after the bombing. So pick up from there. Well, that's actually, uh, that's windows on the world. That, Thank, oh, I'm yeah, sorry. right. Thank yeah. Yeah. So, so just so, so, so folks understand. So the rainbow room was run by a company that Joe had formed and then he got the contract to redo windows on the world. And that seriously was again, I'm, I was probably just 30 ish or maybe I can't even remember, but now I'm, overseeing PR and marketing for the rainbow room on the 65th floor of Rockefeller center and windows on the world on the 101st floor of the world trade center. That's crazy. It was just crazy. (laughs) You know, and if I look back and say like, you know, one of the top times of your life, it was that. So, you know, we had been brought in and, um, you know, there was going to be this recommitment to building and we were also taught that it was the safest building in the world. And we went through all this training and then Joe 
again, visionary, visionary with a great team of people. Because the one thing about Joe is like, like you said, once you were part of the family, you were in Mm. and you were really loyal. And so he had created this great network of people that we all worked together. And when in the recreation of Windows on the World, because he had done it the first time and it was the most profitable restaurant in history, um, he thought he's like, he kept saying to us, we got to like, it's got to be even better than what it was. So we created four different concepts on that on those two floors. Um, I, I need to interject real quick because yes. whenever there's a lesson, I like to pull it out. And uh, I think that lesson there was even when you're the best and you're the most profitable, you still need to be better the next day because right. you just set you're 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 setting the standard for other people to to match, but you also are setting it for yourself. Yeah. Right. So other people are, are jockeying for that level that you've reached. So yeah. to, to stay at the top, you got to keep showing up to be even better. I think that's a really great. You know, it's really one of Joe's quotes that just came to mind was like, don't think out of the box. Cause there is no fucking box. <laughs> you know, like, you know, like, you know, he would just say that. It's like, I'd say, Oh, I'm thinking out of the box. <laughs> like, you know, he would just go crazy. Like, I he's like, it. there is no box. Yeah, keep going. Keep going. Um, so, we so we all got we all set foot on recreating you know windows on the world and two years into it we had created uh, cellar in the sky which was this amazing wine restaurant which was a return from the original but done completely new we had done windows on the world which was the beautiful restaurant you know the highest restaurant and then we had a full floor of gorgeous banquet space but we um, when we were getting ready to do the bar um, and I feel very lucky to have been a part of this process in the brainstorm we said well what is it and and joe said it's the greatest bar and all of a sudden it became the greatest bar on earth and that was the name (laughs) the greatest bar on earth and it subtly kept that circus theme going and it was this sense of anything could happen here and that's the other thing too that i'll say a learning lesson is when you create a concept Stay true to the concept. Yes. You know? How do we stay true to it? What things can we do to ensure that we stay true to it? Well, make sure the make sure what make sure the tra- make sure the concept makes sense for where what you're doing and where you are. And don't rot you know, even though we do a trend report, I always say, don't rot like the purpose of my trend report is not for you then to leave and say we're gonna do everything, you know, that, yeah, that's yeah. on this trend report. It's what's right. And also, like, some of them are just fads and some of them are trends. Joe is, again, religious in the fact that, like, in this concept, certain things will never happen. For instance, we're not going to serve sushi here because it'll be a disconnect yep. to people. So that, that, that concept clarity um, is sort of what propelled AFCO, you know, AF and Co., because I knew in my heart that so many restaurants and hotels were uh, a little bit gray yeah. and they needed to be tightened. Yeah. And AFCO is the, the, your current business now yes. just for the listeners. And mm-hmm. uh, actually I was supposed to mention the teaser during the intro and you just, I'm just realizing right now, I forgot to mention the teaser, which is instead of doing a speed round today, uh, Andrew's going to take us through some of the 2020 trends to look out for. So to keep in mind, out, you know, keep, keep that in mind. That's keep what, listening. Yeah, I know. I totally forgot to, okay. to okay. listen to the teaser in the beginning. <laughs> so thank you for bringing that to the okay. surface. Yeah. Um, so, I think when we left off, you're talking about uh, we. I don't know if we really got into what you the influence you had on how you're going to market and brand this, yeah. right? Um, what were you doing as a somebody who was specializing in PR and marketing yeah. to to make Windows wait the, Windows on the world and the Rainbow Room and, and, and the, the Rainbow, Rainbow Room. Room? Yeah, what were you doing to 
I mean, these were incredible restaurants. The, the food was excellent. The service was excellent. But how were, what was your role in, in making sure everybody knew how excellent it right. was? Well, you know, back, you know, the media landscape was so different back then. I mean, you know, it was all about print. We didn't have email. We didn't have, we, we had, I remember we, we just had fax. Um, and part of it was like create these memorable experiences for the people that are going to write about you so that they can tell the story. See, that's what we're doing. Like in PR and marketing, we're telling the stories. We're telling the stories that'll be interesting enough to make people want to come and experience them. And then if you do a great job with that, they tell, they, they're your new PR and marketing because they're telling, you know, they're telling their friends and so on and so on that shampoo commercial, like, gee, your hair smells terrific. You know, then they tell everybody, oh my God, her hair smells so good. Anyway, I don't know why I got off on that, but no. it was sort of that sense of like create these memorable experiences for the media and for people that would then go off and do our job for us that would tell. So we threw some kick-ass parties like, you know, um, for the opening nights at both places. The biggest night of my life was the, the reopening of, uh, windows on the world because it was spectacular. I mean, but Joe, again, Joe was like, if this is it, you know, this is it. And, uh, and then also, there's what we call an exclusive strategy in our world, which, which meant somebody had to get the exclusive. And I got to tell you, that was the most anxiety-provoking few weeks of my life when I was figuring out who was going to get what. What do you mean by that, the exclusive? Well, so you had, let's just say in New York, you had New York Magazine, New York Times, um, you know, five or six other papers, and they, nobody wanted to, the same story. So it was like, who's going to get the first menu? Yep. Who's going to get the first look? What was most important to us? You know, the New York Times was the, you know, the review. So all that is, you know, now on a marketing plan. And a lot of um, those restaurants were generated by who's the chef? Who's the wine director? You know, so telling all those stories, you know, I think was... Um, was my job. So the big takeaways I'm getting uh, when you're trying to market or create publicity for a restaurant is make sure you're telling stories and make sure you're capturing the stories. Um, you're always telling a story. Make sure you're, you're packaging those stories and sharing those stories. And uh, when it comes to PR or I'm sorry, the media in general, like really be intentional about what journey we're going to take this person on. Absolutely. How are we going to blow their socks off and how are we going to create a story for this person? And there was another bit that I'm, I'm that's escaping my mind. Um, hype is the other word that was coming to my mind. When when there's a big event, create a lot of hype around it because this is where the media is going to be. This is where the eyes are going to be on you. So really go like I, I see it with a lot of successful people. Like we'll be like, oh, let's take a photo, and like it's not just a photo, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like how are you going to make this photo? like something that is telling a story and is exciting yeah. and like seems more than it really is. It's just yeah. a photo, right? Yeah. Am I off by saying No, no, no. And back then we didn't have Instagram and Facebook and so it's different now, but mm -hmm. you know, but it's the same core message. Mm -hmm. Now it's just you on know, steroids. Tell the story. Yeah, tell the story. Now the thing is, I always say to restaurant people, you know, restaurant people, listen up. Like, even when the going gets rough, don't cut your marketing and PR out of the... Now, granted, that's because I'm a PR marketing <laughs> yeah, company, right? It's a little self-serving A little self-serving, <laughs> I admit it. But I sometimes think, like, of all the things you could have cut, like, we're the ones who are helping you continue to drive business into your restaurants. Because I'm going to say, business is not going to drive itself. Yeah, when business gets slow, yeah. the last thing you want to yeah. cut is yeah. the thing like, that yeah. drives business in. Yeah, right? top that line. Fo that's another big thing for me. Focus on the top line. Top line revenue, because if you focus on the top line, it gets easier on the bottom line. If you don't have the top revenue, the top line revenue, you're managing costs by cutting labor, raising prices, and you're, it's ass backward, right? So focus on bringing revenue in 
And then I'm telling you, life gets easier. Get a little more specific when you say focus on top line revenue. Just just to general, like you know, don't to paint paint that picture. Of what exactly we're, we're focusing on top line? Revenue. Well, yeah, that's focusing on butts and seats. Mm-hmm. You know, as easy as that is. Like you know, I always say to people, like when somebody says, "What's your job description?" I'm like, "Butts and seats." It could be a new butt or it could be a repeat butt. It's just got to be a butt and a seat. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Um, and getting them to spend while they're in enjoying their experience, and then getting them to come back, yeah. repeat dining. Yeah. But it's the top line revenue, the revenue that comes in at the top or like when they're, you know, when they sign their checks or when they're, you know, it's before all the expenses start to get knocked out of it, yeah. right? But what happens is when the top line isn't there because, you know, it's a slow time or they're not doing enough marketing or their concept's unclear, then what ends up happening is they're measuring from the bottom, which is means they're cutting labor, raising prices, money going out, not money. Coming yeah, out. and they're and so and I can tell you, it's a sure sure sign of a uh, a restaurant that might not make it. I mean, you have to be smart operator, but you got to focus on bringing money in, and you got to focus on loyal customer loyalty and yeah. like dri- driving r- revenue, driving yeah. revenue. Thank you for getting into those details. Yeah, I appreciate it. No, you're, it was yeah. great. Uh, so one other thing I want to mention before we move on: a great book if if you want to learn more about the power of stories. Story brand. Uh, I can't remember the author. Do you know what I'm talking about right now? I've read it, but I can't remember the name of the author. Yeah, either. he's got a podcast. Uh, yeah, another based on Nashville. I know all these details. Yeah. But I don't know the, the guy. We can name. look it up. <laughs> yeah, okay. We'll figure it out yeah, okay. during our next break. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'll link to that that book in the show notes. Do you have any books you want to recommend on how to do this? Well, well? you know, you know, you probably heard that um, I live by Danny Meyer's book. You know, Same and too. actually, I was I'm working on a book, and Danny Meyer did the um, forward for me. Oh, he's been a mentor for me. We've wor- we got we got to work together when I worked at the Rush, uh, the Rainbow Room. Danny and I sat on the uh, New York City Convention Visitors Bureau th- together. And it, it's just it's been so amazing to watch what's happened to him. Oh, man. But I also love, you know, there's a, that Donald Burns book, Your your Restaurant Doesn't Suck, yeah, which I think is your kind of... Your restaurant sucks and yeah. your restaurant still sucks. <laughs> yeah. This, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's always kind of like, I think it's just like slap in the face messaging, yeah. but it's good. Donald you know? Burns yeah. has been on the show a yeah. couple times now. Yeah. He's a great guy. I'm actually going to be hopefully crossing paths with him again. Yeah. I'm on my way back to Texas from mm-hmm. California. And I'm speaking with him at a conference. Yeah. In a couple, yeah. I'll be stopping in New Mexico and hopefully mm-hmm. we'll... we'll um, We'll um, dive into that book and kind of pull it apart and yeah. take some of the lessons out. I like Restaurant Man too, you know. Uh, oh, yeah. uh, Joe, Joe Bastianich. Yeah, yeah, I like that book too. Yeah, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. kind of a real gritty, yes. true scene. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, so what, what 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 makes sense to talk about next? I mean, anything, any other big experiences uh, between your experience at the Rainbow Room and uh, Rainbow's Windows of the World that are worth diving into before we move on to the next stage yeah. of your career, which was with Kimpton. Kimpton. Was, yeah, I would just say this. So, you know, I didn't know what was going to happen at the Windows on the World. You know, um, I don't think any of us could have ever guessed that that would happen. But I, I think um, when, I, when I was there and I was working with all those amazing, talented people, um, you know, I learned, I think just you know, you got to be open every day to learning something, you know, there's, cause it could be about food. It could be about wine. It could be about whatever, you know, you're not. And the other thing too, is like, nobody's good at everything. You're like, so, you know, if you're a great cook, cook, if you're a great service person, be a great service person. Every now and then you get the, wow, that person does it all. Yeah. The freaks. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, those, those people are few and far in between because even the, the industry has gotten more competitive. Mm-hmm. I don't think that you can be the best anymore by yourself. I don't think it's possible. So my lesson there is surround yourself with the best, Yeah, you know, that, cause that's what I feel. And that's what I feel has been a lesson that I've taken from those early days, you know, to 
to sort of just set up the transition, um, I had now been the king of New York restaurants. You know, I was working at the Rainbow Room and the Russian Tea Room and the Windows on the World. What I year was, is this to kind of this not was, to date you? This um, <laughs> 2004-ish. Yeah. And, um, and I remember I got that call from Kimpton. I didn't even know what it was uh, at that point because they were West Coast based. I had never been to San Francisco. And I was die diehard Jew from Jersey, you know, like, you know, we went to the Jersey Shore on the weekends and, you know, and, and it was this young boy from New Jersey living this fantasy life of, oh my God, I can't believe this is my career. Um, I went to Joe and I said, I got a call from this firm in California and, and he, and he said, well, you know, don't do it. Like everybody dies in California. Like they're three hours behind, you know, that was his, always his big thing. Like, you don't want to live your life three hours behind, you know? Um, and you know, so I didn't, I just said, okay. And then, um, six months later, the call came again and he was sort of, uh, starting to get sick and, um, Joe, Joe, Joe? yeah. And I went to him again and I said, I I don't know. Now they're called again. And he's like, go take that interview, you know? And I remember I went and, and he just said to me, you know, you'll stay two years, you'll get the experience and then you'll be out of there, you know, but you need to get out of doing one restaurant because he said, how many more restaurants, you know, when you've worked for these, where else are you going to work? Yeah. And that's how I uh, decided to take the interview with Joe's blessing. And I think there's something really, really important about being able to open restaurants and somebody else's dollar. I mean, you never had the, or maybe you do, maybe, I don't know, maybe you have the hopes of opening your own place someday. Who knows? You or, never know. Yeah. But yeah. when you, when you're spending your career opening restaurants mm -hmm. And like that's a whole different game than running a restaurant. So Absolutely. when you get to do that on someone else's dollar, like you get that opportunity, <laughs> yeah. you take it, right? Yeah. Um, how did you transform during this time with the Kempton Group? You know, it's really interesting. I would say, you know, it's you know, it's so funny. Like I, th I look back on how I ended up here. You know, uh, with you know, with Kempton, and um, you know, I do think you're right. You know, I think the there's sort of like this role that I've created, and I, there's a whole group of us that do. PR and marketing and everything for restaurants. And I think sometimes, you know, we are the unsung heroes because we're the ones that are responsible for getting the word out there to keep butts in seats. Now we can bring the butt. What happens when the butt gets there <laughs> is really up to the restaurant, yeah, right? Yeah. I always say like, you know, God deliver, God deliver. But when I, with the Kimpton experience, um, there was another, uh, two people that became really important to me, Bill Kimpton, who I, so I've sort of followed, like my career has sort of followed legends, yeah. you know, legends in, in business and Russian tea room, then Joe now, then Bill. But there was a woman named Nikki Leandakis who was, um, would become my boss and was my boss for the entire 10 years. And I think, cause I really identify with strong women, um, mom, you know, um, I really just identified with her yeah. and, it was a maverick company, you know. Um, we had nine hotels and restaurants when I got there, and ten plus years later, I left and there was fifty-two. That's and crazy. 50, 50, you know, so many restaurants, and literally had my hand in some aspect in every one of those restaurants or hotels. What exactly was your role? Like when you came in, like what was your intention? Like what was your responsibility when coming into a new opening and exiting a new opening? Yeah. Well, it's really interesting because Nikki, tell, Nikki tells the story about how I was the most anal person for her that she ever hired. Thanks, Joe. I had, yeah, right, right. Because I had all these questions, like right down to like car emissions because, you know, like, like, 
crazy questions that she said one day she just was sitting there thinking, am I making a mistake because this guy is a freak because he's so detail-oriented. But, you know, moving your life across the country, not knowing anybody, because I didn't know anybody here, and uh, I wanted to make sure it was, like, going to be okay. A funny story, the night I landed, we had an earthquake. (laughs) And um, it was before, you know, uh, social media, but I remember my sister found me and said, they don't, don't even unpack, just get right back on the plane. Um, but anyway, back to Nikki. I, I got when yeah. I got into California for the first, <laughs> the first night I was here, there was an earthquake. Right. The yeah. next day I was like, did any, do you guys feel that earthquake? All excited that I, I was like, I, the one thing I wanted to do was yeah. feel an earthquake when I was yeah. in California and everyone was like, there was an earthquake. I'm like, yeah. oh, I was like so I deflated. It. I, I was felt like, it. oh, nobody yeah. felt that. I did. I felt it. Sorry. Um, I had to share. No, no, it's it really interesting. <laughs> so we had this earthquake and then, and now I was, you know, I was in a strange place in San Francisco. I've got to say, not New York, you know? And so um, I couldn't figure, I couldn't navigate it. I had, they had mini breakdowns just about every other day about like something like, you know, I had, couldn't find a place to live. It was just, anyway, what kept me together was my job. Mm. So I started as the director of restaurant marketing. Um, they had never had one before, but there was enough restaurants now that Nikki, who is um, VP of restaurants, said, you know, I need somebody that I can just rely on to work with all these restaurants to make sure that, you know, they're, they have marketing plans and that, that, you know, that they're doing something over the first five years, you know, I think myself and the small team that I assembled really established, um, restaurants in a new way of thinking. Like, you know, you do have to have a marketing plan and you do need to have quarterly initiatives and you do need to measure your results. And so we, we put all that together and then, um, I got an opportunity. So, you know, Hotel restaurants sometimes have a negative connotation. Kimpton really put that on the map of like, there's a separate entrance. It's got its own, you know, like it's a freestanding restaurant that happens to share the space with the hotel. Mm -hmm. That was Bill. Bill's mantra was nobody wants to eat in a bad hotel restaurant. We actually talked about this when I was talking, uh, when I was speaking with, was it? No, it wasn't. Umberto? Yeah, it was Umberto. Umberto. Yeah. 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 And it it was really funny because... um, uh, I'll veer for a minute. You can always pull me back. But I was at a um, meeting maybe a couple of months ago, and it was a hotel that I won't name. But they they wanted me to come in and help with their new restaurant. And I said, um, so I said, and we were sitting in a meeting, and I was sitting downstairs, and I said, well, you know, the couple things that like you know you just never do anymore is you don't call it anything with a garden or anything with a terrace, and you never use green or mauve, right? So they take me upstairs. The name of the friggin' restaurant is the Garden Terrace, you know, and it was exactly what I said you don't do. But at least they knew that they needed to redo it. But so with so I think with um, with Kimpton, five years in, I got the opportunity to then oversee the hotels as well. You know, the PR for the hotels because I've created this whole PR network and. It was just going really well. I developed all these cool partnerships and charity programs, but none of it would have been done without the support of a supervisor or a leader who gets it, mm. you know? So when what exactly I, is it that she got? She got the fact that as one of the leading boutique hotel firms with great restaurants, that number one restaurants could never be had to always have separate identities. That was the number one thing she got. Okay. That came from Bill. Thank you. But the other thing she got was you got to you got to take chances and stand out. And she let me take those chances. Like 
Um, and some of them were amazing. You got to zig when everybody else zags. You got to stay fresh. You can't Absolutely. just be a, a fish and, in the school. And I'm right? proud to say that with, again, with a great team, like it wasn't just me, but with a great team, we were the first to be the pet, the first pet friendly hotel company. We were the first, um, LGBT friendly, like where we threw, you know, we had weddings. We were the first eco-friendly program in a hotel and we were the first women's travel program. So, and each one of those came with a charitable component because that's the other thing I want to talk about. Like partner up with people that can extend your brand. Yeah. Like get involved in your community. I'm so happy that you're going here. Yeah. So I, I took a moment to make a note and it's just, you said a PR. I was developing a PR network mm-hmm. and it sounds like, I mean, this is what you're starting to get into, right? Uh, and being intentional to, to do good with your with your brand. Absolutely. And then it sounds like what you were doing is you're tying your brand with uh, subjects that are somewhat controversial, but doing the right thing. And you're recognizing and you're being willing to recognize that, you know, listen, like it's 20 at this time, whatever. Like let's start. 2010. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. like let's be at the leading edge of doing the right thing. And I think that's one way of thinking about it. Like being at the leading edge of doing the right thing. So that's how you're, if there's a way for you to stand out by doing the right thing, yep. that's when you zig. Right. And, and that's how you get noticed. You take risks. Like you're talking about. Yeah. I don't want to put words. In oh no, mind. no. But you know, there were certain things that you also do because it's the right thing to do. Like, exactly. you know, yeah, like take, because it's the right thing. Right. Like, you know, um, like eco friendliness and, um, but the the one memory I have, um, you know, so Gavin Newsom, our mayor at the time, had made uh, weddings legal, LGBT weddings legal for a very short time. And so I ran back to the office and I said, yeah, we got to introduce a, like a honeymoon package. Like, yeah. we got, we, and let's get involved with the National AIDS Association and to give money back to them. And, and you know, and Steve Panetti, who was the VP of marketing and Nikki were like, do it, do it, you know. And so we put it out there and then a, we got all this press, New York, I was, uh, um, Nikki and I were on the cover of, um, USA Today and, um, and then a religious fund, uh, like hyper-religious, um, cult of, if you will, like literally, um, overwhelmed our call center so much that it, 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 it shut it down. Ugh. So for two days, you couldn't get a reservation. And I thought for sure they're going to fire my ass, you know, (laughs) because, um, but they were extremely supportive because, you know, that's the other thing too. Like you don't, if you don't take the risk, you will never find the reward. But I think that is also an opportunity that when all these things happen, when, when things like this happen, that that's an opportunity for you to tell the story. Like, like the, your your reservations being shut down is another way to kind of stand out. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? It might be a short term like hit, but that's something that you can spin into something else. Oh yeah. And we talk about it to this day about Kimpton being one of the forefront. But the one thing I learned most about Kimpton is the power of the partnerships, Mm. like, um, community involvement. And I always say, pick, pick a pick appropriately. Like think about who your guest is and support your guests. Like, so, you know, if you if you got a restaurant in a, a kid friendly restaurant, choose a school, like you know because you got to figure out like by building that loyalty, it goes both ways. So I always say like these are it's business dealing. Like when you do a charitable partnership, you are doing a business deal. So you need to go to the charity and say, "This is what I'm going to do for you. What are you going to do for me?" Mm-hmm. You know, um, and it's perfectly fine to do that because you it's a win win situation. But I think sometimes people don't think that way or they, or they do something that 
I'm always like, their, their reach is so small. Well, it's a lovely gesture. It's not going to like, you know, it's not going to matter. You make another really important point is don't just pick any random, um, uh, entity to support, pick something that your guests are passionate about. Absolutely. And when you give something that, when you give to something that's important to your guests, like they're going to reciprocate Absolutely. and become loyal to you because yeah. you're doing something that's special to them. Yeah. And I always say pick something that's important to you because if you're going to have to do it every day, yeah. you know, you got to try to line up those, those stars as much yeah. as possible. So going back um, to PR networks, what, what exactly did you mean by that? You were creating a PR network. What did that look like? So the PR, I think, well, first of all, you know, obviously there's a whole group of journalists and now influencers and social media people, right? So that's sort of the network mm-hmm. that you're sort of living in. But then there's also the people that are telling your story for you. And that is, I, a lot of that comes through not the charitable partnership so much, but as the other partnerships. Mm. For instance, partnering with a um, a beef company or partnering with a vodka company or partnering like, again, the, this is about just keeping your restaurants full, you know, and the liquor companies, they want to sell product to your restaurants. So like if you can create these really cool things, a great example of this is, um, we did this bake sale for, um, uh, our farmer's market, you know, kids program here. Blue Stem Brasserie does it every year called Bake the World a Better Place. <laughs> My name. Okay. And um, and they partner with their coffee company and all their vendors and everything because the more they partner with, they can give money back mm-hmm. to the kids program. But then everybody gets a marketing toolkit. Since you're going to be participating in this event, this is what we're expecting you to do, uh-huh. you know? So I think, again, now here's the thing. Restaurant people don't think like this. No, this that's not, why you're here. <laughs> this is not why they got into the restaurant business. Yeah. I always say that. You didn't get into the restaurant business to do this. But if you're going to do it and you want to be successful, then you got to play the game. Mm-hmm. Until you get to that, sometimes you just get so damn lucky where, not lucky, it's hard-earned work and it's talent, where you get to that point where you know the turning point happens and you don't have to worry anymore so much because you know you're going to be busy because you've become a classic. Mm. You know, but think about all the restaurants that open every day. It's like it's like acting. One in like 50 million guys make it. And yeah. sometimes it's usually because you knew somebody or you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. It's just like that. So, but you know, it starts with that talent. And so if you get that lucky, but even those restaurants, I think sometimes get too comfortable. Mm, I love it. This has been a really okay. great conversation. And, um, I, we're almost, we okay. got 15 minutes okay. left of time together and I want to make sure we leave time for, uh, the, th- the trends you're yes. going to drop on us. Anything we have not discussed, um, up to this point, anything you were hoping we would discuss that we haven't gotten to yet. Now's the time. Well, I would just say, you know, um, you know, like, like many restaurateurs, I took a shot 15 years ago when I decided to break away from a traditional job and open a company that supports restaurants and hotels. And, you know, I always say to people like, you know, no regret. This sounds so corny, but I say no regrets. Like I could have always looked back and said, I got to get out of this because I made a big mistake. But, um, but I would say for all those young restaurateurs or people who think they have an idea or, you know, um, or something out there, like figure out how to do it. Even if you don't do it like completely full time, I think about you who's traveling all over this country <laughs> doing what you do. I mean, you know, you, I think there's so many people that are sitting in, in places where they don't necessarily want to be. I'm going to tell you running up an agency because we support restaurants is as probably as crazy as running as the running as being in a restaurant itself. Cause we're, you know, we have all these clients who have dreams, you know, that we're responsible for, 
But I would say that I'm very, you know, here at, at least at uh, AF and Co, we're really, you know, we're very proud of what we're doing. But I think it's since we support the restaurant industry, it's a lot of work wow. and it's, it's fun though. Man, I got to ask you this question. Um, the, 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 the mission statement of Restaurant Unstoppable is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. So I want to start asking all my guests, uh, how have you transformed since getting into this industry to the man you are today? How have you transformed? <laughs> Got a lot of gray hair. Um, I look back at some pictures. And I'm like, oh, my God. Um, you know, um, I would say that, you know, well, you know, to be really upfront with you, I was not I was mini Joe Baum when I hit the scene here in San Francisco. I was a screamer. I would like, you know, I think I'm most proud of the personal transformation that I've made to because it opens up doors for you that you, you know, I had to buy so many flowers, you know, in my old days, I was always apologizing, buying flowers. <laughs> my flower budget was out of control. Um, but, um, I think now that I've sort of embraced the fact that like, that's not going to get me anywhere, I've really transformed into, you know, a much more, you know, rational listener that's sort of still frustrated, you know, by certain things, but just learned how to handle it better. I, you know, I also feel like I was really good at the creative side of it and learning how to run a business was, I'm definitely the left brain, like creative, you know, and so forcing myself to do the right brain stuff has been very interesting though. I would admit like I've, I've surrounded myself with really good people because if I had to do a day to day, we wouldn't be here. I love it. One more quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back. Bento Box is more, much, much more than just another restaurant website developer. It is a hospitality platform designed to disrupt third-party services that come between the restaurant and the guest. Bento Box puts the restaurant first and offers tools that drive high-margin revenue directly through the restaurant website. These tools allow you to easily update menus, promote and sell events, share your press and media attention with the world, sell gift cards, take care catering orders, and much, much more. In other words, Bento Box puts you in control so that you can focus on what matters most, your restaurant. Bento Box is trusted and loved by over 5,000 restaurants worldwide because they empower restaurants to own their presence, profits, and relationships online. Sign up today at getbento.com slash unstoppable. One more time, that is getbento.com slash unstoppable unstoppable we're back and we're going to dive into some trends and we didn't really get into like part of the this is an element that you provide with yeah. af and co um you share trends you're, you're constantly plugged into the industry yeah. you're paying attention to what's going on and you're about to release your 2020 trend uh yes. what, what's your your word for it your name for it it's a it's, a, it's the trend annual report? trend report yeah yeah, yeah. so you're yeah. gonna drop three or four <laughs> trends on this we're looking at who um, knows i don't know we'll see <laughs> so um, what's the big the first big trend we need to be looking out for well i should probably just tell you real quick so it started this will be our 12th edition yeah and it became because we were literally immersed in it and it's uh the process of going through this is very interesting but um we end up with about 30 trends 30 trends yeah and i think we kind of talked about the first time i came by to introduce myself Uh, and i should probably put a little uh like a note in here because i've been quoted as saying like don't follow trends trends are dangerous um but let's be really clear what's the difference between a trend and a fad yes that's when i when i said that to you you're like well sir yes Uh, so explain it listen i it's so funny that we do a trend report (laughs) because i sometimes agree with you that trends are trends um Fads are the uh, 
things that are, you know, that come and go, they're popular for a year. Cronut <laughs> yeah. is a great, you know, yeah. uh, fad. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, what about pokey? But well, pokey is it pokey? No, pokey trended and now it's part of life. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, the thing that's weird, maybe, yeah. maybe you're gambling, but if you, if you're, creating a whole business around a trend by the time that you get funding and you get yeah. open, the trend has already coming on and trends are happening faster than oh, ever. Absolutely. Now. They're accelerating. Yeah. So the so window's going to be even smaller. If you're planning a restaurant for three years from now, like what I tell you in this report, you know, you might question, yeah. but you know, the one thing about the report is that we're not, everything's not meant to be mind blowing. It's sort of like, what are we seeing? And then I, you know, you know the tipping point, the book, yep. you know, so that's what we sort of look at. Like where in the, where in the process of tipping is it, or is it just going to be a fun talking about Seth Gordon's book? Right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's just going to be a fun little, you know, moment gotcha, in, gotcha, in time. Gotcha. Well, I'm going to tell you that this is the big trend of the year is, uh, veganism. Okay. You know, that's, um, and, or what you can call plant-based, mm. um, and you might, again, people might say, come on, it's been around, but not like it is now. I mean, it's... Um, What's the evolution of the trend going to be? Well, you know, um, it's for the masses, you know, where um, people are going to look at it the same way they look at steakhouses. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just going to be, you know, there's going to be complete restaurants built on plant-based. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're seeing it. There's a fabulous new restaurant that just opened here in San Francisco called Wild Seed that is sort of shown people that it's you know, it's not eating cardboard you know it's like you can have really good food it's plant based and well i think one of the biggest evolutions was the the um the impossible uh meat you know impossible meat the impossible burger yeah that, the burger uh, you know the yeah. impossible meat but now they're it's in taco salads and now there's competitors in mcdonald's and burger king and pizza hut uh have announced their partnership with you know plant based companies so can we just not call it meat though like can we just I, well, call it well, well, well meats is it that, well that's, that's kind of controversial oh is it yeah just so you know um because it's really not meat it's plant-based but this you know but but they're saying impossible meat so yeah but but it's but it's come up as a controversy of like you know um so i think you're going to see though plant-based versions of everything isn't it's processed food is it not it's well like, it depends it's some it's grown in the lab some of it's yeah. you know so it's like yeah. But, but, you know, and then there's all the other things that, um, and that's sort of like this, I'm, what I'm going to say substitutes, that's not necessarily what, what, what I'm seeing as the trend. Cause there is going to be, you know, seafood, plant-based yeah. seafood and all that. <laughs> yeah. But I'm talking about just the fact that the, um, people are really learning that they can eat from the earth mm. in, um, sexy, creative, yeah. fun ways where it used to be known as health food. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So now it's just, well, it's, it's health food. I think, uh, there's, I've even spoken to other people that the, the continuation of this trend is going to be food as medicine where mm-hmm. it's like, I'm eating food to not sustain myself to like stay awake, but to like make sure that I stay healthy. Yeah. Um, but like, or to cure certain things. Absolutely. Like and I have arthritis. I'm going to have, absolutely. you know, I'm going to like CBD, eat more turmeric or whatever, yeah. you know? So, yeah. but you know, for, for just to, finish on the plant-based because you're seeing it in cocktails yeah. you're seeing it you're seeing it everywhere yeah. uh all, all these new wines that you know wines are the official officially plant-based but you know there's so but i would just say this one thing that i sort of laugh about is like vegan vegetarian or plant-based does not always associate with health mm. like you know that's the thing that also like there's there it's not 
Um, the health food restaurants that we know of the past where it's tofu and Doritos are vegetarian. <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, yeah. um, but it's a great, it's a, you know, with everything that's going on with global warming and everything, I, you know, I think there's something in it. And you know, along those lines, one, another trend that we're covering, not to the extent of that one is these, uh, mind foods like noodles that are, that are, you know, uh, protein based and yeah, good for you. We're learning so much about food. Right? Yeah. And then, you know, and I think interestingly enough, we do have, um, CBD and cannabis on the report this year. It was on the report last year, but this year, you know, we're just seeing it being used in, uh, in really interesting new ways, you know, in, uh, beverages and in food and just the, the fine line of like, you know, how mainstream can that become, mm. you know, uh, there's a lot of education that goes on with CBD. It's mentioned, uh, you know, I, I'm so bad at lists because I just jump mm. all over the place. Yeah. So the first trend that you you dropped on us is a more, there's going to be a trend in vegetarian restaurants. Um, a vegan vegetarian. Vegan vegetarian yeah. restaurants. Yeah. Were there any other trends that came out of that? Or as no, far I would as say that you're going to see, well, I'm going to say that you're going to see um, plant-based substitutes for just in, in just mainstream. about every category. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Uh, what's the next big trend you're going to you drop on us? Um... You know, that's a good, that's a really good question. I'm looking down at my, my <laughs> list. I mean, um, I would say that there's, um, the, the gig economy. Do you, I don't know if you're familiar I'm with very that, familiar but with yeah. It, yeah, we're going to have but, paired on the show. In right. Yes. Yeah. So I think that is another big industry trend. Um, a little bit controversial because, um, you know, how we're going to get, you know, how are they getting the workers that the restaurants can't get? And, um, but it's a great solution for short term issues the flip side is in our conversations with people they're getting people that might not be trained well enough to just step in to do a gig exactly i mean yeah. I've, I've staged in like high-end restaurants you go through weeks of training just to even step foot on the, the dining floor and the, like or you start with doing the most simple thing in the kitchen and work your way up to a line cook position you don't plug people into four-star restaurants or whatever, yeah, right. you know what I'm yeah. saying? So that's, so, but it's definitely, it's definitely on the scene right now. Um, especially in places like San Francisco where we just have a shortage. Mm. Um, if I, everywhere. if I switch to, I mean, now just so you know, in the trend report, we have the hot list of ingredients and we have the food of the year and the food city of the year. I'm going to save all that. Okay. But, um, but the other thing on the beverage side is, uh, the spirit trend is that it's no, it's no, it's not spirited. It's low octane, um, companies that are creating uh, no alcohol uh, um, versions of every single spirit. I don't know if there's a company called Liars that's coming onto the scene. So and like the Odules for liquor, <laughs> right? Yeah, like it's amazing though, yeah. because they they're they're using natural ingredients to recreate tastes of every your favorite beverage, and they're doing it with uh, low octane. And people always say like, you know, why is this important? And it's you know and Honestly, it's not for people with drinking problems, you know, like, um, cause quite frankly, in, in talking to people like anything that would stimulate the thought of what that might taste like is about, it's for people that just don't want to drink as much, mm. you know, they, they, uh, you know, then you say, well, pregnant women, but you know, there's a lot of us who say, well, you know, we still love the taste of that drink. We just don't want to get, you know, effed yeah, up, slams, you know, yeah. slammed on, yeah. you know, on a given night. I would say then the, probably the biggest thing though, across the board, hotels, restaurants, etc. is this whole um, craft your own adventure. You know, this whole sense of no rules. Mm. Um, so delivery, you know, um, if I step, that, that I'm, I'm meshing trends, but this whole sense of virtual restaurants with no 
brick and mortar. Yeah, and the ghost restaurant. Is, that's big. Yeah. Like, that's big. Now, sadly, I am not a big fan of that. Neither am I. Because it's taking away the joy of going to dine in a restaurant. It's, I think it's that, but it's even more. I think we're so, like in this industry, we're so reactive to the market. Right. What does the market want react? What does the market want react? I think we're going to have to reach a point eventually where we say, what does the market need and what does it not know it needs? And what can, how can we start educating the market as like, as far as like cut the shit Absolutely. because we, you're making, you're, you're re- making this industry react into a corner where it's unhealthy for our employees, where we're making it unhealthy for you. Yeah. And when you take away the relationship between the person, like the end user and uh, the, like where the food came from, mm-hmm. We just we need to be more mindful of where our food's coming from, right. and when it's a ghost kitchen, we don't even know where it's coming from. Yeah, just, that just scares me a little bit. Um, yeah, I mean, I would uh, say this: the virtual only restaurants are really interesting because they're not even going to have a brick and mortar. But you know, I'm just really—it's only right for some concepts. Mm. You know, concepts like trends. Yeah, like, <laughs> right, exactly. So, like, but I'm—I really am like we all have to fight the good fight to keep our restaurants thriving like you know and it's a fight right now Mm. i mean between labor and cost of doing business and the market yeah and everything and then all this all these other influences of like and i'll say this it's it's the millennials and the younger people that are like you know they they want what they want when they want it and they want it delivered and they don't appreciate like sometimes this is a definitely like I sound like a, I'm so pissed off, but it's, there's a lot of people that don't appreciate how the joy of going to a restaurant and like what you get back Mm. from that experience. So, you know, one of the trends that I wanted to put in is like, you know, it's going to swing back, you know, but it's not there yet. Most things are on pendulums. Yes. They swing in one way. And if it's in one direction, you can almost put all of your money down that it's going to go back when, How fast it happens is what's unknown, yeah. but things always swing back and yeah. forth. I the mean, last look, one. Food, sorry, go ahead. No, no. No, go ahead. I, I was, was going to say, the, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, I was going to say, look at food halls. Oh, yeah, um, exactly. Maybe that's the, the next trend you're going to share, but they these aren't new ideas. Food halls were around in the, the like the 90s, Yeah, it right? didn't make the list because, again, it became cultural. It's part of our culture now yeah. that there's going to be a certain amount of food halls. Um, I w- I'm going to end with a trend that I think is more global. It's... Um, this whole concept of take no prisoners like this is um, a t- like the economy is what it is. The, the our, you know, what we're calling the whole report is based on the age of uncertainty. There's so many uncertain things in our world right now, like between politics and global warming and just everything. And the way the way you act right now is. Like you've got to like what we were saying, like I kidded you about Joe, but it comes back full circle because like I am such a believer in like, don't think out of the box, just shatter the damn box. (laughs) You know what I mean? And it's a trend. That's how everybody should be thinking Mm. moving into this. Like, you know what I mean? And that's, that's sort of the underlying, um, uh, message of our whole report this year. Andrew, I've loved this conversation. Thank you. Uh, you've I already, did too. Thank you. You've already made a few recommendations um, behind the scenes for, for people to me to connect with. But the last question I ask all my guests is who's one person you respect and admire in the industry and believe would make a great guest mentor on the show? I'm, I'm sure you got one more in you that you can call out publicly on the uh, yeah. show. Who are you thinking of? 
You know, um, well, you know, obviously I'd say Joe Baum because he'd be amazing, but that would be an amazing feat um, yeah. if you could uh, bring him back. Um, you know, I've I talked to be doing a podcast. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I've talked about a lot of my mentors in my life, um, though she's now not technically in the restaurant business anymore. I think Nikki Leandakis, who was the VP of restaurants and then went on to be the VP of hotels. Uh, not only for Kimpton, but then destination hotels. She is truly somebody that inspired me every day with how much she loved restaurants. Nikki, look out. I'm coming after yeah, you. And, and, I will, and I will hook you up. <laughs> that would be great. Thank you so much. And you've been so supportive about my time here in San Francisco. Um, how can we connect with you if we maybe want to hire you for your services or we want to get access to this trend list that comes out annually? What's the best way to connect? Yeah, sign up. So go to our website, www.af.com andco.com afnco.com and sign up because you will be invited to a webinar um that will where we re- where we re- will release the trends you can get to us through that you know we're also obviously on uh every social media channel out there because that's what we do um but if you start with the website that's the easiest way to get to us. Yeah. And this is episode 670. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 670. I'll have a summary of today's discussion as well as a link to any books or tools recommended and how to connect with Andrew and get on that list over there again, episode 670. Uh, and just, just again, thank you so much. Sincerely thank you. For not just coming on the show and sharing your story and your knowledge, but being so generous with your network and introducing me to some incredible guests that I got on the show. Uh, just wouldn't be able to do what I do without people like you uh, contributing and supporting. Thank and we so wouldn't much. be able to do what we do without people like you uh, fighting the good fight for thank restaurants. That's uh, my pleasure. It yeah. really is. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you, Sacramento and San Francisco. Great interviews. Uh, thank you for everybody who took the time to come on the show. Thank you for everybody who took the time to support the show. Uh, people, my listeners, people who are hosting me, people who are connecting me with their network. Man, uh, the support is just overwhelming and so uh, appreciated. And I am now in San Diego. So um, if you can think of anybody you respect and admire, somebody I need to make a, an example of on the show, please put them on my radar. And I want to connect with you. Uh, let's grab a beer. Let's grab some coffee. Let's let's. Let's talk about how I can make this show better. Let's talk about what you like about the show. Or if you're not in San Diego, but you want to join the community, head over to Facebook and search Unstoppable Restaurant Owners and Operators, and you'll find the private Restaurant Unstoppable group. Join the group. Join the conversation. Let's grow this community. All right, guys, that's it for today. Thank you so much for sticking around this long. Until next time, peace out.